book of 1 Timothy is a pastoral epistle written by Paul the Apostle. It's one of his final letters to his protege and spiritual son, a young pastor named Timothy. And although the letter is intended for his ministry life, the content transcends and applies to the Church of Jesus Christ. Within this letter is the most explicit and complete instructions for church leadership and administration. Not only is the Christian's character of utmost importance, but also the church's culture is of spiritual significance. From the qualifications of elders and deacons to the quality of the times and seasons, this letter teaches the believer to guard the truth of the gospel against spiritual treason. And that is why 1 Timothy is a perfect template to follow for life and ministry. Because when we submit to the inspiration and course correction of this letter, the church will be purer, her people bolder, and the gospel clearer. The book of 1 Timothy. Dear church, this is your charge. So this is truly what to expect on Sunday mornings if you come to Landmark Church. We're going to walk our way through 1 Timothy, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I'm going to give you an overview as quickly as I possibly can with the prescription being, Dear Church, this is your charge. The entire letter is written from Paul the Apostle to his young protege, Timothy, towards the end of Paul's life. Unaware, of course, he's a few years away from his actual death coming by way of martyrdom. And he writes this letter, which is a defense completely of the gospel. And in chapter one, he deals with the undermining of the gospel as it pertains to counterfeit teaching, false doctrine. In chapter two, he deals with men, men, look at me, look at me, failing to be in the rightful biblical place of leadership. He deals with women, women usurping their ecclesiastical authority, which undermines the gospel. In chapter three, he deals with unqualified leadership, which undermines the gospel. Ministry that is not focused on teaching and preaching the truth of God undermines the gospel. That's chapter 4. And, of course, chapter 5 deals with how the body is to honor its members. If they don't, it undermines the gospel. Chapter 6 will tell us about what it looks like to worship, pursue, and misuse money. This is the verse that many misquote. Money is the root of all evil. No, it says the love of money is the root of all evil. There are two themes that run through this entire book. I call them strong rivers, and they're running in the same direction at the same time. They're separate, but they're inseparable. They make up a body of doctrine and duty for the church and the Christian. That's us. Those two rivers are this, that truth would be preserved in the church. That's the task. Would we preserve the truth of God's word, and that truth would, ready, persevere in the Christian. And you can Reverse these, of course, if the Christian preserves truth, then the church they attend will persevere in the truth. If the Christian allows truth to persevere, which means to endure in you, to mature in you, then the church you attend will have an appetite to preserve the truth. If truth perseveres in the Christian, that's one river, then truth will be preserved in the church. And why is that important? In chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Paul says this. These things I write to you. Take note, Bible student, anytime you see that in Scripture, take note. You ask, why is he writing it? He answers, this is why I'm writing it. Though I hope to come to you shortly, if I'm delayed, I write, ready, 
the word of the Lord, so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, comma, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Stop. He's identifying a people. He calls it the house of God. Each of us understand what that means. He's not talking about a structure. He's not talking about a building. We've erred greatly by making the church a building. He's talking about the family of God made up of spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers and spiritual sons and spiritual daughters. Jesus Christ is the husband and the bride is his wife and he's going to tend to his wife. Amen? This is the church of the living God. We serve a living God. This is not traditional Christianity. This is not religion. This is the church of the living, reigning God. And he has given us in himself, his son, Jesus Christ, as well as his Holy Spirit. He identifies the qualifications or the definition of a church. You ready? The pillar of truth and the ground of truth. A pillar, it's stable, immovable. A pillar is a structure. Is that the rapture? It's the ground of truth. It's the baseline. Let me kind of make it very simple as we move forward. Truth defends the church. Truth defines the church. Flip them around. The church defends truth. The church defines truth. If this institution called the church is not defending truth and defining truth from God's word, you better believe there's no other institution in all of the world that is willing to take that charge. That is why, dear church, this is your charge. What do you think the measuring stick of a healthy church is? Do you think it's the amount of people that come out? Do you think it is how large a building is? Do you think it is maybe even how sweet the fellowship could be? How about how cool the pastor is? Is that the measuring stick of a healthy church? Maybe the music ministry tells us how healthy a church is. Is that what the Bible describes? How well the spaces are organized? How much real estate we can accumulate? No, what is the most important measuring stick for a church? I'll tell you. How it handles the word of God. How it administers the word of God. How it defends the word of God. And conversely, anyone, anywhere, any ministry, any organization that mishandles the word of God, that is the most egregious act that defaces the image of God, which he has given to us through his word. And that is why we as a body must be about the word of God. Why? Paul says to Timothy, you need to know how to conduct yourself in the house of God. Translation, there's a code of conduct for the church. There is a code of conduct for the Christian. Can I be transparent? Conduct then unbecoming in the church is often exposed by conduct that is becoming like Christ. C.S. Lewis said that you can't tell how crooked a stick is unless you place a straight stick alongside of it. So when we're in the body, we're responsible to be of the body, one body, one heart, one movement, one head. It's Jesus. Many members contributing to that cause. But here's what happens. There are those who are in the body, but are not of the body. And those of us that are serious about our conduct becoming like Christ, our life, the straight stick, is going to expose those in the midst 
who have conduct unbecoming like Christ. Are you seeing this? Translation or riddle, and if you get it, we'll give you a free shirt. What is in the body but not of the body? Parasites. Parasites can be in a body, but they're not of the body. And parasites and tumors and cancer and other forms and diseases that are in the body, they take from the body, they steal from the body. They're in it, but they're not of it. And I'm asking everybody under the sound of my voice that if you're in this body, that you would prayerfully consider being of the body and consider the greatest message that has been entrusted to the church of the living God, the household of God, the pillar and the ground of truth is found in the very next verse, verse 16, I'm almost done. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. If anybody ever asks you what the gospel pertains, what was Jesus' ministry all about, take them to 1 Timothy 3.16. Without controversy, there's no debate here, ladies and gentlemen. There's no argument here. Doesn't matter what you think. Doesn't matter how you've been raised. Doesn't matter your spiritual background. Doesn't matter your religious persuasion. This one comes without controversy. Mystery means unveiling, revealing. It's not something you can't know. It's something God has revealed. And it's the unveiling or revelation of, ready? Godliness. How Jesus was God in the flesh. So we go from revelation to incarnation. This is our message. We believe God became man, that man became a lamb, and that lamb laid down his life to save us. We also believe Jesus was justified in the spirit. That means confirmed, not only at his birth, but also at his death and everything in between. Evidence seen by angels. They examined him at his birth. They examined him at his, at his death. That message is preached among the Gentiles, which is our category. Those that were once heathens, saved by the gospel. That's the message believed on in the world. And ultimately, when Jesus was done his ministry on earth, he ascended up into heaven. There it is in one verse. No controversy there. Now, Jesus' body, his life on earth, he leaves his body in a people. He governs us from heaven with his Holy Spirit. And we can walk our way through that exact verse and find a succinct summary of everything about the body of Christ from our earthly formation to our eventual heavenly destination. Very quickly, great is the mystery of godliness in you and I, that God would manifest himself and come to us and be with us and live inside of us. He manifests himself in the flesh, in the body of Christ. He justified us in the spirit. You and I are just justified, just if I'd never sinned in the first place. We are evidence of salvation that angels look into. Did you know that? The Bible says angels are so curious. These intelligent beings are so fascinated at salvation for God's creation. That's us. We also want the world to be fascinated and curious about our salvation. If we preach this message amongst the Gentiles, if we see salvation and those that believe this message come and be a part of the church. And one day, each of us will be called home and we will be received up in glory. Final verses of my sermonette. They're the final verses in the entire book. Paul ends with a plea. You can express 
and see his heart in the first two words, oh, Timothy. This is like the final thing he said, oh, Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Guard what has been entrusted to you. Guard the truth, guard the gospel, guard the work that God has done in your life. Guard your joy, guard your peace, guard these things that God has given us, guard them together. Guard the gospel, protect the gospel, proclaim the gospel. Final thought, we guard the truth by being girded by truth. And that's where you come in. You help guard the truth by being girded yourself in the truth. Gird your waist with what? Truth. Put on the armor of God, church. Helmet of salvation. Breastplate of righteousness. Shod your feet with the gospel of peace. Take the prince of peace everywhere you go. Arm yourself with the shield of faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And equip yourself with the sword of the spirit. This is the armor. And we guard what God is doing here by being girded and grounded in the truth. And I believe with all my heart that if we take God at his word, we are going to see him do greater works and we'll report on those greater works. And we're going to stand on the solid ground of the gospel and we're going to stand together and we're in this together. Dear church, this is your charge. So we are running a little late. We expected as much. We were going to end with a song, but we want to honor your time for committing to come out on a Thursday night. I hope some of you in this crowd recognize that I was able to do a sermonette in timely fashion. Um, are we singing? We want to sing? Do we want to sing? Yeah. All right, we're going to sing. Hey, if you have to go, we understand. You're free to go. We're going to sing one final song. It's called The Stand. And we're going to stand in God's faithfulness. And we're going to move forward with his blessing. Amen? Amen? Let's do it. Father, we give it all to you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for how you've provided. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.